takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. I'm pretty sure today is the last episode of our summer flashback extravaganza series. I've been calling it different things every week. But, uh, yeah, we've got some new episodes coming next next week. We'll start with, well, I'll just, it'll be a surprise. We're going to announce it. So keep your eyes uh, open and your ear uh, to the grindstone. Uh, today I've got John Powell on the show. This is an episode that aired about a year ago. And originally I split this one into two parts. But you know what? I just put it all together for you this time. It's two hours long. So... You know, you might listen to it over a few days, or you might listen to the first uh, three minutes and, and go back to Howard Stern. So, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. John's a great guy. He's a friend of mine. I've had the pleasure of working with him for a number of years now as a singer, and we've traveled uh, to South America together, and we still see each other occasionally for lunch, and uh, I just love him. He's a great guy, and of course, he's one of the best film composers living. He's moved out of film uh, to do some concert work, which is also fantastic. And uh, I shouldn't say he's moved out of film. He's still obviously composing film music. He's got Ferdinand the Bull coming out and uh, Han Solo. I think I can say that. I, I just saw it on the internet. I've known it for a while, but it looks like it's official. So that's, uh, it, that's great. I mean, so exciting. Uh, what else? Happy Monday. It's a little bit cooler today, which is nice, finally. Hope you have a great rest of the week. I uh, thank you for listening. And like I said, keep your ears open for next week's episode. We're going to be starting all new stuff again. Hope you had a great summer. Here's John. I, you know, okay, so I talked to our friend Kabe about it, of course, after I bought it. And I bought it on this great deal. And um, and I thought, oh, I've got this thing set. I've got it in you know, my podcast. It's going to sound great. And um, I've messed up three interviews with it. I just can't seem to figure it out. I don't know if it's because I don't think it's complicated. I think I'm just not deficient. I'm just deficient in that area. So you you just do you have a preamp as well, or are you using They're that built as a in? Yeah. yeah. So so they have these nice preamps built in for the mics. I see. But it, I think it all mixes down into just one one channel. That's the f- only. I should have brought it over. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> Bring it over because it, by the sounds of it, it comes from 1927. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I must be missing something. <laughs> and the other thing is that it doesn't come with instructions, just like everything online. these days. Yeah, you, I guess. You have to go online and find instructions for everything now. I think it's terrible. What yeah, do you think yeah. of that? Um, I think it's... I mean, how are you with... Te- I mean, you're with, great with technology. I, you know, well, I'm not that great i mean i've had to figure it out um but the thing is that we it's good for the trees you know not having things printed i've got Uh, we're clearing everything out here and we're finding you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of manuals that really we can get online so we're just going to throw a load of stuff out what i need is a staff Uh, that does help (laughs) does help (laughs) well john i wanted to, to say first of all thank you I mean, I know that this I, this is a big favor for me, and I, I really appreciate it. And yes. I mean, not to say that this isn't a big podcast. I think this is really going to give your career a boost that it needs, finally. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but really, thank you. I really appreciate the it. The theory I've never done a podcast, I don't think. Is that right? Well, I've done interviews. Yeah. 
Now, I, I was talking to Edie about uh, how excited I was that you um, agreed to be on this. Um, and she was. She seemed kind of surprised. She's. I, she gave me the impression that you don't do that much, that many interviews. Well, I I don't. But a lot of them are not. They're, they're very kind of mundane. And what you mean? They're business oriented in, in yeah, a way. Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. tend to be people, you know, who want to interview for, you know, soundtrack. Yeah, British composer soundtrack yeah. magazine quarterly. Yeah, exactly. It. And it kind of gets a little repetitive. And also, I actually stopped doing a lot of interviews after Happy Feet. I did it quite a lot as Happy Feet came out, and mm-hmm. I, I discovered discovered a phenomena, which is that if I talk about my how I do things, yeah. I find it very difficult to then do it the next day. Is uh, that right? Yeah. So it was giving me a lot of writer's block. Like it creates some anxiety for you. Well, yeah. You you. It, People ask you questions, how you do it, you explain how you do it. Oh. The next day, you go sit down and you go, wait a minute. Fuck. How do I, how, <laughs> this must be really easy because I just explained it to somebody yesterday. So why is it? Why, what, why does this sound like shit? Is it in the deconstructing of what you do? Like when you, when you talk to somebody else, you, you probably have to intellectualize what you do. And in, in doing so, you deconstruct it a little bit. And I'm just trying to get to why that happens. I would imagine that... Uh, you get caught up in what you talked about as being your mantra that isn't always true every day, day in and day out. Is that part of it? No, I honestly think that the only things I've done that are any good uh, do not come from any kind of conscious mind. They all come from my subconscious. So by my conscious mind blathering about, you know, how this and this should happen, how easy this is or difficult that is, I think it just confuses my subconscious mind who then says, well, if you if you know so much, you do it. And I don't do it very well with my conscious mind. So it's really interesting. You know, I find it particularly interesting because our mutual friend Eric Whitaker and I were uh, yeah. together a couple of days ago and we were really talking about this very thing. I, I we have a way of describing it as the well, I have a way of describing it as your front brain and your lizard brain. Yeah. And your front brain tries to make sense and be very logical and figure everything out. Uh, we were talking, uh, uh, it was in a different context. It wasn't about composition. It was about um, <clears throat> relationships and how you deal with relationships with your loved ones and your your wife or your girlfriend or your fr- even your friends and how um, you can try and make sense of things with your lizard brain and try and send yourself into a direction that makes sense logically. But it's always the lizard brain that wins in the right. end. Well, that's the id, isn't it? Right. I I, I was reading uh, more about Freud the other day, uh, of course, on Wikipedia. Cause, <laughs> because yeah. that is the best source. And, and what was fascinating was I didn't realize that the translation of the three terms he came up with, id, ego, and superego, right. can also be translated as, um, what is it? Uh, I, um, I am, and... Uh, sort of watching I. Oh, like in a third person. Yeah. Um, so the superego is is kind of it's society's rules that then part of you tries to figure out how to make sure you can keep with it. Right. And your ego is the bit, is the I, the I am, is the bit that kind of knows is self-aware and, yeah. Yeah, and it's a gr- to f- really grounded in reality or yeah. what you think is reality but yeah. it's really the job of the ego is to try and achieve what the id wants 
And the id is your lizard brain, as it were. Right. You know, that basically just wants what it wants. Yeah. The pleasure principle. Where do you think that comes from? Is that just how you're born? How you grow up? I think that's evolution. Yeah. I think that's... <laughs> just a fundamental human trait. No, I think, I think it's a fundamental, um, you know, animal trait that uh, has been... Uh, has evolved in humans into a slightly different, this kind of uh, slightly bizarre, self-aware, yeah. sentient thing that we are. Yeah, yeah. But essentially, it's it's about survival and reproduction and happiness. And ha- yeah, and happiness yeah. because yeah. Though. So, and we see because we've we're animals that have figured out how to see patterns. Yeah. Um, we. Hence, the patterns lead to, you know, if you give it enough time, it leads to neuroses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think anybody that has half a brain is uh, m- mostly neurotic, I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, why, were you, yeah. why were you getting into Freud last night? What was that about? Uh, I don't know. I mean... Were yeah. you just surfing the web? Yeah. I mean, it was actually a while back. It was in Iceland. And, uh, oh. and I was uh, lying there with jet lag, um, just probably thinking of something and 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 I so I think the word id had been mentioned or I'd even used it and huh. then you know you have those conversations where you talk about things and then later in the day you go I'm not sure I really understand that word um, yeah, yeah so I then went and looked it up I like to use those words just well, before you understand them yeah all. a lot <laughs> that's part of what this podcast is <laughs> I'm sorry just to tell you that it is live I'm just going to go and open the door for the dog because he in, in, yeah 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 coming in. oh yeah we have dogs in the interviews quite a bit, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> I've been watching um, Chelsea lately. Oh, uh, Chelsea Handler, right. Chelsea Handler yeah. does this show on Netflix. Yeah. Um, you know, and the great thing, she has a dog on it. And it just wanders around while she's doing interviews with people. Oh, it, that's it looks funny. like a late night show, but yeah. um, this beautiful dog will yeah, come yeah. up and, you know, rather than people coming on and they clap and rather than the band kind of yeah. playing them on, the dog kind of walks <laughs> you on. It's great. That's funny. All right. So I want to go back. And uh, I mean, I know some things about you that, that you know, I, I think are interesting, like about your childhood and how your dad was in music and things like that. So tell tell me, you were born in Sussex, is that right? Yes, Su- East Sussex. East Sussex, uh-huh. And your dad was, uh, uh, he was a horn Trombone. Uh, tuba, sorry, tuba player. Tuba player, right. <laughs> right, so did, yeah. so you grew up, obviously, with lots of music in the house. Yes. What about yeah. your mom? Was she a musician? She was musical, but she was, no, she was a... Um, a physical therapist. I see. And uh, but she did play the piano. So I, I, I this tiny little um, cottage that we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my room was above the room where the piano was. So I'd mm-hmm. hear this, um, you know, the Chopin being played. And right. every four bars, there'd be a oh sorry when she'd stop and she'd do it wrong, <laughs> and then she'd go back a little bit. And then Ooh, yeah, sorry. I could hear her actually apologising as she to herself, as just she, by herself. Yeah, oh, that's funny. <laughs> was that extraordinary at the time, or was it more? Because, you know, in my, grand- in my grandparents' day, it seemed like, well, my grandfather grew up in the Depression, so it wasn't so much the case. But socially and societally, I feel like there were pianos in all the houses and people all, all played music. Was that the case then, or was it kind of extraordinary that you grew up with so much music? And, uh, at that time, no, it was very, very normal, I think. Like your for, friends? Yeah, uh, in the middle class, in England, in the middle mm-hmm. class, it would be very normal for everybody to have kind of, a lot more people to have learned music. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as a kid, you know, it was completely normal for everybody to learn music in some way. Either the school automatically gave you music lessons, mm-hmm. automatically gave you, the state would automatically pay for, you know, 
mm-hmm. individual lessons for you as well. So people would literally learn instruments as they do as they learned math. Sure. Um, that stopped, you know, uh, just after I kind of, you know, got educated. Unfortunately. Um, Why is that? Why do you think? Uh, they decided to kind of um, not fund education properly. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I, I yeah. that's a big soapbox issue for me here at home. And yeah. is it the same in, in Britain? I it mean, is now. They've gone to this is. mad system where students have debt. You know, I don't think as much as in America, but, but this We're idea leading the way. you take a loan out <clears throat> for your education, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me at I all. I totally agree. You know, there are certain things you cannot, should not, that should not be monetized. That's right. You know, there's an infrastructure of society that that surely <laughs> is what we pay for. We pay for a way to grow our society around us in a in a, in a fruitful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and having people stupid and sick is not the way to do it. No, exactly. Yeah, I exactly, totally agree. Yeah. I think it's really a function of some political ideology that's not. I mean, it, it's it's not a new concept to make a population sick and stupid. It's a very easy to control a population like that through yeah. fear and, and fear mongering. I suppose so. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so it is much more convenient for the people that have the most money and the most power. Yes, I mean we don't. It's very difficult to see. Uh, you know, America has really lost its democracy. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a democracy anymore. It's a mixture of a theocracy and a uh, oligarchy, mm-hmm. and that's madness. Because mm-hmm. the uh, the the wonderful thing about America is the um, is the hope, right? <laughs> the hope of the original idea. That's right. Uh, I'm really surprised that they at the uh, you know this uh, quarterback that sat down. You've been reading about this that sat yeah. down during the national anthem, yeah. And the the flack that he's getting for it, I, f- I find that that's the that's the best thing about living in America is that you <laughs> that you can protest, yeah, in in an intellectual, peaceful way, and it should mean something, and it should matter, and it should be celebrated, whether you agree with it or, or not. But that's the difficult thing about the First Amendment in America is that you also have the right to... To, pro- to protest that. Well, mm-hmm. to protest it. There's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. there's there's also the right to um, be a racist. Right, right. <laughs> that's right. Um, be a xenophobe, be a homophobe. That's right. Um, and not, you know, be as bonkers as you like. Um, I think that's what's behind Brexit, frankly. I mean, if you want to get down to brass tacks, I think it's about English people not wanting to see more brown people coming. Of course, I think it's always. Well, I mean, emigration is is always the first place you go when there's um, you know poverty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when you're impoverished, it's very hard to see what's um, causing it. Right. And uh, somebody comes along and points a finger. It's the easiest thing on earth. It's right. been happening forever. Well, you certainly don't want to blame the people you voted for. That's, that's, well, that that's creates the, a lot of dissonance. That's the bizarre thing yeah. is that uh, you know you see everybody voting against their own interests constantly. Mm-hmm. I've never, I can't never really quite figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know. I feel the same way. Okay, so you, you're growing up in a musical family, and yeah. what, what was the first instrument that you picked up? Was it piano? No, trombone. Trombone. Yep, I uh, played a, a soprano trombone. Why? Or oh, no, sopranino trombone. <laughs> I've got to ask why. why? Be- <laughs> because my uncle Evan, who wasn't my uncle, but was. You know, I call sure. him Uncle Evan. Evan sure. uh, Watkins was the first trombonist in the Royal Philharmonic, and he used to come round and you know see my father, who was in the Royal Philharmonic uh, brass section. And and um, I think at age five, the conversation was had where you know it's like, well, John, wouldn't you like to play something? Yeah. 
And so I think he brought around this sopranino trombone, which and is... Have very, you been studying piano or anything to no, that point? Nothing. No, nothing no, at all. Nothing, okay. Nothing, nothing okay. at all. So I started to play this tiny... They're tiny. I mean, have you ever seen them? No. They're really tiny. No. But I think I was... I bet you have one in the bathroom downstairs. No, I, I don't, actually. I have a trombone, but a terrible trombone <laughs> for doing, um, you know, fart noises. Really. <laughs> and, uh, I can save you money. Just give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in the union? That's well, the of course I'm in the union. <laughs> the uh, America Farters Association yeah. of America in America. Yes. Well, that's the fun thing about all brass instruments. They're, they are the epitome of kind of a, an extension. Right. You know, of if the, if the, I later went on to the violin, you know, age seven. Okay. And that perhaps was an extension of my, um, my soul as opposed to my arsehole. Oh, see, that's funny. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, did you, you didn't read music when you picked up the, uh, the trombone. The trombone? Wow. No. Okay. Well, I was five. I so, know. in those two years, yeah. you, you really learned how to. And no, I mean, I think I, played it a bit and didn't really carry on I probably played it a bit between four six you know I just fiddled with it you know and learned how to do it and and uh, all I remember is my father's telling me not to do vibrato with my hand you know which is sure sure uh, because that's kind of the jazz way and you, you should do it with your lip and that and that's much harder I think and, right um, so and then I at some point I think when I was six I I, I did try um, I went to a bigger trombone because I could I could <laughs> I could use it yeah and uh and it, it, it's a it's a hard instrument, really, and I still don't, I still don't, you know, I'm still not able to really play. You I, know, it's the most closest to the human voice, I think, the trombone. The way really? that the yeah, the way the lips. I think I mentioned this on another show, but the way the oh. lips uh, mimic vocal folds, oh, the way vocal folds come together, right. and how you change the amount of space there is between your lips and this. Oh, yeah. right. With the tongue going up and down, yeah. and the, the you know the change yeah, yeah. of the dimensions inside and you mouth. can make very vocal sounds with it you know oh, yeah certainly yeah, yeah for sure yes. so you picked up the violin yeah I, I went to the violin I heard a I heard a concert my father took me to a, a rehearsal actually of the Mendelssohn violin concerto uh, in Brighton and uh, I came back absolutely transfixed really yeah it was I'd never heard anything quite like that and you weren't listening to the Rolling Stones and the... no at the time my father being a a musician who had done everything mm. hated mu classical music generally uh, and uh, wait 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 let's 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 talk about that well if you if you're a classical musician and you've spent 40 years you know playing classical music through the entire music, repertoire yeah, yeah everything you know at okay. a certain point the stress i think of being at the front of you know anything if you're in a very high level mm -hmm. you kind of just want to not you don't sit around listening to you know boulez that's true i do yeah. the same thing with opera i really don't listen yeah and and so he would listen to easy listening music bizarrely. What, what was that at the uh, time? Matt Monroe and um, the Carpenters. Oh you know, sure, sure. Radio Two at the time. Okay. You know. So I, I was probably brought up with a lot of um, some you know very cheesy stuff. But yeah. I, I also was. I think it, it's interesting because I do have a love of Burt Bacharach. So well, still. you do have a real sentimentality about you, about your music and know and knowing you as a person. I see that in you. You're yes. very sentimental. Uh, very. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big. It's uh, one of the things I really like the most about you, actually. <laughs> and your, and your, you know, your tight body. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. that's neither here nor there. Yes, <laughs> it. Uh, so you fell in love with this Mendelssohn. Yes, I, I did, and, and it. Um, it was. It was the, probably the first time when I, I think I'd, I'd heard music. I'd understood music as, you know, background music. I'd understand. I'd, probably gone to sessions with my father mm -hmm. uh, the excitement of music but I'd never really probably sat there and felt something 
um, reach in, you know, as deeply. Maybe. Wow. Maybe I was just mature, emotionally mature enough to finally. Kind and of really you were seven. It. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was around about the time when I realised that uh, there was no God. Okay. See, this I wrote this down too. I, I was going to say, boy, we got to talk about that too. So, did you didn't grow up in a religious family at all? No. No. Okay. No. My mother was. Yeah, my mother was from a you know church of Scotland. Um, so she would go probably once a year but uh, and I was never christened and and uh, in conversation my father was a uh, he was in the uh, the masons uh -huh. freemasons uh -huh. so you know there's an element of religiosity to that yeah you know in the same yeah. way there's an element of relig religiosity to um, uh, 12 step you know sure <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah. Um, yeah I've got an issue with that too if you want to talk about that uh, <laughs> well, you know I I, I but I always joke about this that I think you know I got to that particular age where a lot, a lot of things were starting to uh, unravel as to the simplicity of life yeah. and uh, and that's when you know maybe this piece of music which is one of the greatest pieces of music ever I think you know it's, it's uh, everything from joyful to um, you know tragic to uh, melancholy, yeah. melancholy mm -hmm. and everything that's great about Mendelssohn you mm -hmm. know, was really in that piece there's obviously so much wonderful Mendelssohn as well but mm -hmm. that, that's a real Oh, is that? No, no, that was me. Oh, I, yeah. That's you'd I'm be a professional. Again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I need to turn that off. Oh, is that? Uh, so we have to go to uh, adverts now. <laughs> <laughs> this is brought to you by my mother calling. <laughs> uh, it kind of is actually, but that's another story. Uh, so yeah, I um, I've been thinking a lot about about. It's funny because being in the music world, I find that there are two general types of people when it comes to religion they're, they're the fervent and they're the atheists and the anti-theists and there isn't doesn't seem to be a whole lot in between I, I've, at least as, as far as singers go I think some a lot of singers grow up in the church and that's how they start singing hmm. and other singers discover they can sing and then just look for the paycheck yeah. you know and I feel which I, one are you? I, I, I definitely fall in the in the ladder of the two uh, and I think it's funny, I, I was just, I don't know why I've been thinking about this so much lately. It seems like the older that I get, the more I don't believe in that type of thing, which is kind of antithetical to most people's journey, at least in this country where you get older and you want to get closer to to some other afterlife or something. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Sure, there's that desperate need to know what's going to happen. Right. What do you think is going to happen? What happens when, when your eyes close for the last time? Well, you, you just go back to the earth. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You just, you just, uh, you lose the, the, you know, the, the grace of your consciousness. <laughs> what happens? Yeah. What happens to the John Powellness of you? Uh, well, it depends what you did in your life. I think, you know, I mean, it, it's all. You know, the the thing I've always said about religion is it's, um, it can all be summed up with one word, which is metaphor. You know, it's hmm. it's all metaphorical, mm -hmm. and the great. The great wisdoms of religion mm -hmm. are there. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can look in them in the same way that you can look in sure. any, any great, you know. The best part of religion is of what course. you're talking about. Yeah, all, yeah. There, there's all yeah. this wonderful wisdom in all of these books. <clears throat> right. Every religion, it's, it's just a question of if you get to actually miss the point of it, which right. is that a way of explaining something that we can't explain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, as obviously that's going to change over the of the eons because you know we know more we know less we understand more we understand less constantly mm -hmm. uh, the more we know the more we we don't know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you know and science is is a is a a fantastic 
uh, sort of judgment call mm-hmm. for now uh, based on whatever our best abilities are. Yeah, well, the, the tools that we have to yeah. measure things, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you, and so you just have to look back two years or 10 years or right. 200 or 2,000 years and you can see, okay, well, let's assume that <laughs> we we know as little now as we knew 2,000 right. years ago. So we m- must assume that we're going wrong about so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not a very comforting feeling. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, you yeah. know, and it's very hard to live with that idea. But even age seven or six, when I, you know, I remember sitting and sitting down and trying to figure out what religion was because I spent a lot of time uh, in churches in the sense that because you know my mother was singing in choirs, my father was playing concerts, mm-hmm. I was in and out of churches, mm-hmm. and I loved the acoustics. Of Me them too. And and the music and the design and the yeah, the, the music, air, yeah. the smell. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's I agree. Wonderful. It's a great place for, you know, uh, for it is a it's a great place for wisdom and and the the best of of humanity mm-hmm. to to be explored. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the actual the organisation that got us to the point at which we have churches, you know, is <laughs> is so mm-hmm. um, terrible at times and and comforting at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's so if. If you want to believe in a sky parent that mm-hmm. is perfect mm-hmm. and will never, I think I think my re- realization that there's you know there's no there's no God as it were is a realization that came from realizing your parents aren't perfect. That's right. That's a hard pill to swallow. For yeah. me, for me, it has been. I mean, I'm yeah. 46 and I still struggle <laughs> with those things. I mean, my mom and I just had a. A real come to Jesus moment uh, yesterday, <laughs> but literally not literally. Not well, you know. I mean, it's one of those talks where you get angry and heated, and yeah. and you try and figure out these things that are hurting your feelings that may or may not be connected to the actual thing that you're talking about, and you go back, you know, decades, and yeah, yeah, of it's one of those that that's hard. You want it your is. parents to be the the beacon, yeah, yeah. So having a God is just having a perfect parent. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really, it's a it's a parent who will always love you. I envy that, and yeah. people that believe that actually, of course, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. and you can believe whatever you like. I you agree. Know, yeah, there's no, I don't have any problem with that. It's just um, obviously I can't sort of. I find it difficult to indulge other people's kind of set ideas, and they're not even their own ideas. That's people right. come up with their own ideas. Fine, that's creative, <clears throat> but if you're just going to kind of go along with somebody else's ideas, right? It's well, you. I mean, well, I can't help. You, I mean, I can't help thinking for, for those that those types of people that we've all encountered. I, the very first thing I think is, you know, if you had been born in India, you'd be a Hindu. If you had been born in Syria, you'd be a Muslim. If you had been born uh, 3,000 years ago in Northern Europe, you'd be worshipping Thor. Yeah. And you would have believed it just as much then as you, what you believe now. Yeah. So well, let's... Well, they're all, they're all stories... what you're taught. Yeah, they're all stories with wisdom. Um, it's a question of how literal you get with them, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and how you use it to justify the things that maybe you shouldn't be doing. Like for instance, I think, I mean, this is really soapboxy kind of stuff, but I think climate change, in part, is due to people during the Industrial Revolution taking uh, privilege over the planet in a way that's that is human centric, that is spiritual centric and that we are the center of the spiritual world and everything else is here to serve us and that's our right 
to do that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think you're giving humanity more, more kind of uh, awareness than. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think what <laughs> happens on. is no. I think what happens is that you know the need to survive becomes the need to prosper, which becomes greed. Uh -huh. if, it, if it runs out of control. Uh -huh. So as technology changed in the, you know, the 17th, 17th 18th mm -hmm. century, and, mm -hmm. you know, I come from a country that is a, a huge beneficiary of obviously that technology change, the Industrial Revolution. That's what made England as powerful as it is. Mm -hmm. um, you can find a way of making more money. That's right. Faster, quicker and find a way of spreading your influence to make more money. Mm -hmm. I mean, foreign policy is the interests of your country. Um, town council is the interest of your town. Mm -hmm. Your family is your in the interest of each of your family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so at whatever level it is, it's all about your interests, mm -hmm. your own personal interests. Mm -hmm. It's on a global level. So I think people didn't say, I must, you know, I must take. We must take over the earth. It's our right. Um, I just think that they were always just figuring out. I can make more money, or I can be more successful, or I can grow mm -hmm. this business. Mm -hmm. And this technology will allow us. And and the ability to be able to say that trumps, mm. you know, the the damage, mm -hmm. whether it's to your workforce or to whether it's to the society in general yeah. or, or to the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a game. The uh, that's why. Uh, um, the free market can never work. I mean, mm -hmm. the truly free market. That's people, right. People always, you know, talk about um, if you allow yourself to have a free market, uh, everything will settle into mm, things. No. Ayn Rand was uh, was a, a person who had grown up in a in a fucked up society, mm -hmm. and she was reacting against that. She was mm -hmm. reacting against the worst of human nature coming out in communism. So she kind of created created this ideal idea that we were all. We were all superhumans that, if allowed to be, we you know mm -hmm. we do the right thing. Yeah, we do the right thing. Mm -hmm. We we don't. That's right. Because the right thing is not good for us. That's right. So hence, you know, we have society has figured out ways to slowly bring us um, together on some basic ideas to just not 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 keep us constantly in in conflict with each other. That's and, right. And that's I mean, two thousand eight is a perfect example of that where. Uh, bankers, you know, if you're a banker that has a trillion dollars and you've been regulated uh, as to what to do with that trillion dollars of other people's money, and suddenly the government says, uh, you know what, you can do these other things with this money, but we trust that you're going to make the right decision. Yeah. You know, I know. That's really, it's not well, when people say complicated. It's about the market. I say, well, a free market, you want to see a free market, go to Bangladesh. That's right. You want to see buildings that don't have to follow code. That's right. Great. You mm -hmm. live in one. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate freedom. Yeah, if you if you don't want to regulate things, it's fine. But also, as a as a bleeding heart liberal, I I always want to say, why do you think, as a bleeding heart liberal, I like the idea of the of, of government wasting money? Mm -hmm. I it it never gets said. Mm -hmm. this, this idea that you as a you must sign up for that. Yeah, you, that the oh, it's great that uh, government is very inefficient. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not great. No. I'd love a smaller government as any libertarian. That's right. I agree. Absolutely would. That runs well. Yes, mm -hmm. that runs efficiently, mm -hmm. but is there for the right reason and is, is regulating the right things, mm -hmm. not being manipulated by mm -hmm. so much big by, interest by big, big interests, yeah. which is why 
laws get so complex mm -hmm. because there's so many people have a want to kind of get around them and they have an influence. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's the irony about the Constitution. It's such an elegant document. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, elegantly written. Yeah. Um, great conclusions. Um, you know, and it's been, except for a few weirdnesses, it's been able to be interpreted extremely um, effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a beautiful integrity to it. Mm hmm. Um, but it was written by men, you know. Right. So, Just like the Bible. Yes. So <laughs> it, 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 it's as it's as flawed as as you know as any document could be, but it's just extremely well done. Yeah, it's one of the best the of all the flawed documents quality. out yes. there. Yes. yes, I agree. Very high quality ideas. So, I agree. So, but I I just I always want to talk to libertarians because I, I, I want to. I want to try and figure that out because you know what's the difference between me and a libertarian well the difference is that I think I've got to pay tax and that tax must be to build an infrastructure for That's my right. for my society so that when I go outside <laughs> um, yeah. I will won't be mugged and, that and the traffic I, signals work and, and somebody and, will mm -hmm. help me if I you know if I get run over and mm -hmm. that people are you know not driving on you know madly and that uh, right you know, all of society can work. I mean, the bigger the society, the harder it is to do, obviously. The yeah, and the country. more mixed it is, of course. People from yeah. different... that we're, we're unique in that way in this world that we are. We were founded by people that came over from other places and continue Absolutely, to be yeah. run that way. Yeah. And uh, the problem with libertarianism that I see is that it presupposes that, that, that everybody is, is on a level playing field when they're born and that... Yeah. Uh, you you do your job and do the best that you can means the same thing to this other person. You know, for me to say, uh, uh, I grew up in Newport Beach on Lido Island, and mm -hmm. to say that I am th that this other person that was born in uh, you know South LA with a dad who's in prison and a mom who's on drugs is equal and has the same opportunities mm -hmm. that I do is preposterous. I mean that that's it's, of and that doesn't make them any less valuable as a human being it doesn't make them any less important as an american citizen doesn't give them shouldn't give them any less rights than i have in the legal system yeah it seems to not be the case yeah. and so libertarianism just for me is a non-start because it just yeah. presupposes these things that aren't true well it's dog eat dog right and the problem with that is i think we'd get that's about three and a half thousand years old i think it's time to get over mm -hmm. over it we don't you know, I think Greece came along and educated us to mm -hmm. the possibilities of a of a greater type of society than everybody just kind of, you know, mm -hmm. going after each other. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I I really feel that libertarians need to kind of read a read a bit more. That, yeah, you know, they need yeah. to drop the Iron Rand. It's, it's, you know, you know it. It just doesn't work unless you put it in context of her own life. You know? That's right. Sure, That's right. You know. Okay, let's go. Uh, and now I'm going to go back. So, so you're playing the violin. You're going to school, and at what point do you decide that you want to be a musician? I mean, was uh, that kind of the, was that kind of laid out for you because of the by virtue of your parents or? No, it, I decided I wanted to be a musician on the drive home from the rehearsal of the Mendelssohn. That was it, of course. Yeah, absolutely. This is something a lot of my guests have in common: is that they find a passion at a very young age. Do you think that was just accidental? Yeah. Just by, just because your parents were who they were, and you had a, pr a certain proclivity for music, or yes, I, I think I think um, it probably frustrated my father up to that point that I wasn't that interested in music, you know. I, but 
I did think, you know it frustrated him or were you just no, no okay. think, but later on I realized that I had oh, I tried all these other instruments because I had tried but piano I think we had a piano in the house I I tried piano but I didn't stick to it and mm-hmm. the trombone didn't stick to it mm-hmm. all these other things <clears throat> they were all you know typical kid thing if you try it and it doesn't right. really make the it doesn't mean much to you so right. you, you know it's fun but it's not a big paradigm shift yeah, in your life exactly. yeah. but I went and I heard a, I heard a piece of music that I think what it did for me is it, it explained well the reason that music I think it uh, is so interesting to humans is that uh, it can explain uh, so much more than we could say mm-hmm. or you can read or you can write mm-hmm it's a non-verbal language that is the most profound language, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as Im- instinctive to us as, you know, sex is. Right. But uh, it's sex for the intellect. Mm-hmm. So as a seven-year-old, you go and you hear this piece of music, and suddenly everything you've been thinking about and wondering about is explained to you. It's transcendental, really. Absolutely. Mm. It's explained to you in a way that you then can't say... Mm-hmm. So what's the conclusion? I, it's like opening this giant door to a, you know, to if you want to talk about religion. So, yeah. so the idea of heaven, yeah. the idea of kind of being able to open the door and everything be perfect. Yeah. And, and, say hi, grandpa. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and be this beautiful kind of uh, understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and up till then, it, I would have only experienced it through reading a limited amount of reading mm-hmm. and films, TV, and conversations, right? Um, art, if I'd seen it. Um, and lo and behold, comes along this piece of music, and the door opens, and and so many things are explained to me, and I get a I get a picture of of a, a much greater um, experience of life. Yeah. All within this, you know, twenty minutes of hearing this music. Right. So on the drive back, all I can do is hear the music in my head and think, this is incredible. This is this is not. This is not. This is, and that was literally the first time, probably, that music, um, I don't know, did uh, did anything like that to me. And it's surprising because I would have thought that I would have experienced music a lot before that. Right. So what was it about that piece? I I, I don't know. Maybe it was just the right piece at the right time. Right. Maybe yeah. I wasn't mature enough to understand mm-hmm. before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that moment on, I thought this is you know this is worth doing mm-hmm. uh, and the rest of my life has basically been pursuing that simply because mm, I can't find anything else as interesting to me I feel the same way I, um, I've got a and the friends that have known me the longest will verify this that I have a penchant for becoming qu- quite good at something and then just leaving it uh, I, 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 th- I feel like quitting is one of my favorite things to do <laughs> Uh, and music has not been that way for me. It's been, at times, a cruel lover, sometimes a passionate lover, sometimes an indifferent lover. But it's always different, and it's always a challenge. Right. And uh, I haven't been able to leave it, despite my best efforts. I haven't been able to leave it. I sometimes sabotage it, but uh, I always end up coming back to it. Right. Um, yeah, it's you know, <clears throat> it's. I think you've got to look at it as what gets you up in the morning you know what gets you up as a teenager yeah <laughs> other than girls girls yeah you know uh, what else could you say could you know you could be lying in bed as you as you kind of 
wake at six in the morning and think, okay, I can either go back to sleep because it's Saturday morning yeah. or um, I can't wait to play with that orchestra. So was it, so when did the, so I would imagine that you became very proficient on the violin at, at, well, at, yeah, at, yeah, or yeah. at some instrument. So when did that, when did the proficiency and the desire for making <clears throat> music that somebody's already written, when did that transition happen into what does into the desire for creating music? Um, or was it kind of both, were they both there at the same time? Uh, well, I'd probably experienced a lot of different types of music by the time I was a teenager, but mm -hmm. and then I was also slowly understanding how difficult it was to play at a level that, you know, you, you, you see the ponds, the pond size change. Mm -hmm. So you can be a, oh, you yeah. can be a big fish in a small pond yeah. constantly. So you, you leave your village and then, you know, you go to a town and you yeah. realize there's more players who are really good. And yeah. then you go to a city and you realize that, you know, it's going to be very, it's a whole very other difficult. Yeah. yeah. And so despite the fact that I would have experienced transcendental, um, you know, uh, ex I would have had transcendental experiences playing the violin, playing quartets. I remember, mm -hmm. I remember the, the ability to be able to just even play a, a basic, Beethoven Quartet was mm -hmm. was very profound. It was mm -hmm. just, and, and we were, I'm sure we were hacking it to death. But you understood between the four of you. Um, I don't know that that essential um, un, unknown language. That that's right. Is the only way to be able to speak that's that right. language. That's really, that's really a magical moment when oh, everybody's yeah. communicating incredible. with, with instruments. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I feel that way as a vocalist yeah. too. So, so then I think if you look at the difficulty of being a better and better player mm -hmm. with uh, a good dose of ADD. Mm -hmm. So I, I would get bored. So and my father always said to me, <laughs> you know, I, I probably took up the trombone again and I took up a guitar uh, and I, I Let me guess, you were uh, 15 when you picked up the guitar. Yes, because it's, you know, it's girls love it. Well, <laughs> I didn't get good enough, unfortunately. Uh, you know, and uh, I just but it probably was sitting there at 14 thinking yeah. I've got a violin and it's got four strings on it the guitar's got six the violin is not cool and the guitar <laughs> is yeah, how do right. I make the transition all I need is an extra couple of strings that's it So, but it's much harder than that yeah. so so I then started to you know you know, um, you know just have little affairs with various instruments yeah and um and my father, well, it, he actually died when I was fifteen, so this would have been before that. 14, how did he? 15. How did he pass away? Well, he had he had uh, throat cancer. <clears throat> was he a yeah. smoker? Oh yeah, oh, heavy boy. heavy smoker, okay. heavy, heavy drinker. Okay, and, uh, and I see you don't player, you so. don't do either. Uh, is no, that, is that why? <laughs> well, you have seen me drink. I well, think, but, ba barely. But, uh, barely yeah. Not not like our yeah. company, but yeah, yeah. I, mean, I certainly barely. can't. I certainly can't smoke um, mm -hmm. I've even tried smoking dope and that was a disaster I just I literally can't breathe it in and not do the you know a, yeah the embarrassing cough yeah thing, sure you know, so um, uh, but so I lost him at 15 so it must have been some points before then when he was giving his his recommendations and one of the things he always used to say to me is don't be a you know master something don't be don't be a jack of all trades master you okay know, master of none as he would say yeah and of course, the irony of that is that it um, it confused me at the time, but it is exactly what my 
life is now. Right. I am not a master of anything. Uh, same with me. Yeah. I feel the same way. But I also feel that life is much more interesting because of it. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're ADD and, and the idea of taking one thing and perfecting it absolutely, um, it, it's interesting for a while, mm-hmm. but I just cannot... I can't get to that point that a real players do. Maestro, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I feel the same yeah, way. Yeah. Even about my singing. I sing, I sing, I, I feel like I sing well just because I was born able to sing well. Yeah. Uh, I like, I have other interests also. Right. Um, and there came a point at which I took my principal career, my solo career, which I, I, I was doing okay. I had an agent and I was singing all over. And there came a point though when I just thought, I don't, I don't know if this, if I want this to be my life forever i don't like living out of a suitcase i don't like not knowing what city i'm in i don't like being around people that i don't know i don't know if that's a personality flaw or i just figure that's just how i am i like having a wife i like having a home i like (laughs) having steady work yeah you know so i do that absolutely yeah i mean you know it it definitely takes it takes a certain set of skills to do any one thing and those skills really are often the things that you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Not, they're not really skills that you've forced yourself into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if the skill is singing and one of the skills isn't, you know, being on the road. Right. It would make sense. I, mean, I don't travel well either. I don't. I mean, I have terrible trouble. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it throws me out. Don't sleep so, well. Yeah. yeah. So does that, is that why I'm not a very good conductor? It probably... Is not really, but I've I'm not so pursued. I've not that. pursued conducting because <laughs> I don't like the traveling, and it does no, seem. No, come that, on, you know, come on. Tell me why have why do you not pursue conducting? Because I because it's too it's it's too what's the word for it? Scary? No, no, no. Uh, I, it, I'm scared because. It's, I'm not scared of it when I stand in front of an orchestra because I know all the musicians and I've sure. done so and many know. things now. Sure. It, but what it is is it's like it's like you know it's like dancing for them. It's like if you if you said okay you're going to conduct this orchestra so put on the leotard and and <laughs> and do and do you know capella. Uh-huh. That is how it feels to me conducting. It feels very um, put on. Or, uh... It is you're basically you're trying to express with your body what the orchestra needs to be able to help guide them help coordinate them you know the the baton thing is just is really kind of is a technical thing that you can either use or not see i've got all these batons there six seven eight nine ten you've got i've got a lot four, of batons here. yeah right right bought, here staring at you the the irony of that is that i bought them about four years ago and then over the last four years i've realized that i'm really never going to do this and uh, i think uh, my assistants just have reset the room you know yeah, up, yeah. and they found them put them there probably just to say f you well yeah you know yeah <laughs> things changed fucker you know so <laughs> uh, i have a baton sitting on my desk too and i now t- granted i do practice with my son i like to get i bought a couple practice batons and we wave them around and right. you know he's three and i want him to have a an experience similar to yours where you're just around music and it's something that's normal yeah, yeah. But I, it's funny because I have a different fantasy about conducting. <laughs> so you a gun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I think the idea of, of I, I'm really very fond of self-aggrandizement. And I think that would be a great vehicle for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. And it's interesting, talking to Eric yesterday, he was talking about how there's some um, some really wonderful women conductors. Coming. Yes, yes. And that... Mirga, we just saw this girl Mirga, yes, the, the new assistant about, at yeah. the film. Boy, she was yeah. amazing. Yeah, and how it, it was different. Mm-hmm. It was different from a man conducting, mm-hmm. but incredibly effective. I agree. And so that's the fascinating thing is to see uh, um, you know, a world that has never been really... Uh, able to kind of um, the women have never really been able to to um, you know enter because right. it's such a, a boys club such right. a boys club and the orchestras are so you know have always been notoriously yeah. boys clubs as yeah. well but now obviously again a much more even balance of of genders but but it is a it, it's a it's a it's such a requirement of o- overconfidence not overconfidence it's it's just a willingness to to emote using your body in front of other people. And that you find that very uncomfortable? Uh, I think I'm essentially an introvert, and I think there's an element of it that cannot work if you're an introvert. I can't Yeah, you've said that to me before, but every time, uh, and maybe it's just being one-on-one, but every time we're together, I feel, I honestly, I feel like, oh, I want to see this guy more. Like, he is so interesting. We have such, <laughs> the types of conversations that I really enjoy having, which I don't have that often, honestly. So I'm really I'm always surprised to hear you say that. I, I don't know. There's a, a lot of introversion is not social saying, anxiety yeah, or something. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not that. It's just yeah. it's about whether or not you're happy to be home. Is it a more. sense of propriety in front of people? Is it a British thing I for you? No, huh. I don't know. I was I was to, I, I was talking about the fact that um, uh, you know I used to my sister was five years old than me and she mm-hmm. used to do ballet mm-hmm. and I remember watching her aged I was three I think and watching her do ballet and I loved the idea of this mm-hmm. ballet absolutely loved the idea so um, and this is po- possibly apocryphal I mean I, I really have no way to confirm anything I re- ever remember because you haven't really I mean you know I, so yeah. I rem- all I remember is making up a ballet age three for my sister and her just dismissing it and saying rubbish you know, and and then I never danced again. That's the gag of it. You know, it's like yeah, of you know, I never danced again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and but I think there's an element of that which is probably if you see if you sorry, my stomach is making oh, a noise. But if you see a something that seems to make some kind of um, uh, artistic sense to you mm-hmm. when you're very young, mm-hmm. and then somebody comes along and says that you know it's not for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, maybe this is that lizard brain that we were talking about. Yes, it yeah. becomes imprinted in yes, a way that yeah. your intellect can't overcome. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So that that inhibition, uh, I think it extends even to standing in front of an orchestra and just waving the arms. Because it's not about waving the arms. It's actually about, it's about, I don't know, just Do you feel like any, you're using any part of your body necessary. Eyebrows, you know, elbows, you know. Um, is it because you don't take yourself too seriously? Is that part of it? Is there a, is there a matter of needing oh. to take yourself seriously to be a conductor? Well, this is the thing, is that, you know, people... I, I apparently don't make take myself too seriously, but of course I do. I take myself way too seriously. Right. But if I, it's, if I do show the world a, an attempt at humility, it's because I'm trying to balance the overabundance... The ego of my ego yeah uh, so yeah uh, that makes sense yeah so yeah so so I'm torn all the time probably by yeah. the idea of um, what I can do what I should do and what 
what is right, what is wrong. But you obviously don't have, or maybe you just make concessions, but I, I think that maybe you, I, I, I don't know. You know what? I'm just confusing myself now because when I see you work, I see you as in your composition, in, in the product of your composition and the way that you come to that composition um, is we've done some very small measure of collaboration and a couple of little things. And I see that you're both very casual about it, but you're also very meticulous about it. And so my question is, how, does it bother you to see, do conductors ever just do it wrong? Does it just drive you crazy? Or is it that you have so much control over the product that you do within a, the scope of your film music that you don't really suffer from that? Is that yeah. part of it? As far as the film music gone, <clears throat> has gone, I, I've always I've always grasped, grasped control within in, in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it, because of technology. I mean, right. I've said this before. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a disabled composer because I really can't. I couldn't be a composer really without the computer. But you, you I see manuscript all the time. Well, yes, I read music and I can write music, <laughs> but you know, I cannot. I can't hear the. I can't hear the colors um, well enough. You mean the orchestration? Quickly, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't hear. I hear about two seconds of music uh, in front of wherever I am. So I write by going back four bars, mm-hmm. playing the sequencer until mm-hmm. I get to the bit where it stops. And then I hear the two seconds of music, and then I put that in. But you're talking about melody. You're not talking about orchestration. Everything. Everything. Everything, Everything. yeah. Okay. Everything. I mean, you know, obviously there's techniques and there's, you know, kind of ways of, you know, just trickery to, to make things happen. Uh, but it's... Do you mean compositional trickery compos- or, or, well, everything, or yes. technological trickery? Everything, yes. Everything. Okay. I use everything I can, every single, you know, aid. And the computer for me is is a kind of a, it's a memory aid. I don't, I don't have enough memory, I, I think. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of a, I'm a 1986 computer with a very with 16k of memory really yeah. and yeah. but I'm trying to work out some really really complicated stuff so I'm having to shift that memory around very all the time and I just it can't and I've got a floppy disk basically so <laughs> you know there's there's a, so I constantly keeps having to change the floppy disks and so that stuff does not come back very quickly right. and it, again that's another thing about conducting is you have to you have to have a giant memory yeah you really do. Yeah, the best conductors yeah. I've ever seen don't even use a score. I mean, I don't even understand how they do it. I mean, yeah. I, I've I've memorized things like Beethoven Nine just because I've heard it a million times. I can't. And maybe I, that's part of it. I can't even <laughs> memorize my own pieces. I, you know, I I really don't. After I'm, I mean, I I can hear two bars ahead. Yeah. Maybe I can write two seconds ahead. Yeah. And I forget four bars behind. So you know, whatever happened, I. Uh, it's gone to me. <laughs> so, and how do you physically do it here in the studio? Do you, uh, you? I see you're using Logic for this interview. Yeah, is that that's normally what you use? And then these input devices too. Yes, I, I I'll use any input device I can. I can bang on, play, tickle, right, twist, squeak, and you know anything, including you know we've been developing a load of Max um, tools for me that uh, that kind of automate things or allow me to take. Uh, ideas and 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 keep them in sort of in memory in a way that I can then manipulate. So now I understand what you're saying. That I, I, the impression that I get is that you're trying to convince me that you hide behind the technology. But then no, 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 no. I okay, don't, I don't hide. Okay, I because hide, the thing no. is, is that I'm looking. I'm thinking about the Firstborn soundtrack, which is so stripped down. 
and so beautiful and like really was a paradigm shift i think especially in action movies um you know there weren't big orchestral explosions and crazy things um how do you compose something like that on just on the keyboard you just come up here at three in the morning and start doodling or what Uh, what is that yes i mean the 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 mundane part of, of writing is that you start that's it and you start and yeah. you and you keep going until mm-hmm. something interesting happens and mm-hmm. then you catch that and then you throw away everything else that wasn't interesting and then you start from that point again and, mm-hmm. and you keep pursuing any idea that just shows any promise mm-hmm. uh, it's very binary it's like is it this note is it that note is it this tempo is it that tempo you know it's like and you just make choices and you keep making those choices until and you have to accept that it won't necessarily be very interesting until you wait for the interesting thing mm-hmm. and it's all on intuition it's not like you're saying i'm going to go from this key to this key and that means this um it if it there's yeah there's some very deliberate choices okay whether or not they're driven by intuition or whether they're just driven by experience sometimes is murky it, yeah. is, is mm-hmm. very murky I, mean, <clears throat> I can't quite tell i mean when i write the best time i write is I get to the end of it and I can't remember what I just did and then I look back on it I play it back and I suddenly discover oh that's very interesting uh-huh. uh, it's it's and I I realized about people talk about yoga and transcendental meditation yeah. and hypnosis and things like this and it's taken me years to realize that I uh, I do all of this and I've always done it and I don't need to do it the way everybody else does it because it's it's always come very naturally to me but i would never have thought of it as those things i don't think i'm in in a hypnotic state right but i don't you, but you're exercising your I subconscious must be, i must yeah. be yeah because i i can sit there for four hours and you don't realize that four hours is gone and you're not quite sure how what happened and lo and behold you've got something there i i've, I've joked about it before and saying it's pixies come and you know yeah and do it all for you and um do you ever wake up in the middle of the night with some tune no. in your head? That doesn't. That's not no. that. Uh, no, it's never that. I, cliche. Everything's mm-hmm. a everything's a fight. You have to fight uh-huh. for it. Uh-huh. Every note. Uh-huh. You know, anything interesting is a fight. You know, it's very easy to kind of just slap your knob on the on the thing. I can I can do a score completely with my penis. Do you have any of those no. in your catalog? No, because I think that's an insult huh. to my to penis. Your penis. Yes. <laughs> But you can you can drop it you can drop it on a note sure. and there's pro, there's sounds that would that would give you a pretty much a very good score for some yeah things. sure sure and I think I'm, perhaps I should try it someday, I mean some but. some penises would get one note at a time some people chord clusters yes, yes, it depends I, on the composer I, I can't even reach the black notes let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do notice about the way I write is that. You, we talked about bad memory. Yeah, I might have a bad memory, but I have a very... The, the place I think I do have a very good memory is emotional memory. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I, I fuck if I can remember... I remember things that hurt or the or things that were wonderful. Right. Very, very clearly. Me too, yeah. So that's the stuff I think I, I, I bring... That you exercise. Yes, I'm sure. Oh, I'm that's, sure that's interesting. Really. And then, so the technology is really there just to try and... I don't know. Create something that gives me that feeling again. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh-huh. so when a, when it's a film, you know, you can you try and align the feelings you've had in your life with what's required for the storytelling. Yeah. And then it's just a question of you get into that, you you bring forth that memory and yeah. you that emotional feeling, and you try and 
play with things until it seems to align with it. Yeah, yeah. At, w- at what moment in your in your life did you go? F- uh, first of all, I, I assume I don't want to assume. Did you did you think that you would? Well, let me back up even further. When did you start composing? When did you go from playing to composing? Uh, first thing I ever composed was um, uh, when I first got the violin. Okay. So I, I learned. I learned as I started to learn the violin. I remember writing a piece called "Static Dance," mm-hmm. oh. which was something to do with me having static electricity explained to me, and or my, I don't know, oh, sure. sort of bizarre idea of what it was. Sure. And it used a lot of open strings, I must admit. But I also happened to have probably heard "Hoedown" by Copeland sure. at that point, and loved love I still do love that piece. I do too. And uh, so I was really into kind of trying to find a way of recreating that Americana I think <laughs> I was purely you know enjoying music but undoubtedly just destined for Hollywood at some point you know, so. that was my question so <laughs> at that point when you started composing did you have ideas of composing symphonic music orchestral music or were you thinking about commercial music at a very early age I, I was only thinking about commercial music from the point of view that I was watching the Magnificent Seven right. and thinking that is a fantastic music and it reminds me of the Copeland I love the Copeland who was that Elmer Bernstein Elmer Bernstein yeah, yes. yeah. Um, and then West Side Story sure not a score and that's a dangerous point really the emotional to, yeah but the emotional impact. yeah and, the, and the, <clears throat> literally the notes I mean I Bernstein is actually all both Bernsteins yeah. <laughs> have always been those kind of composers where like Brahms you just you go from one note to the next, and it's right. Mm-hmm. Some composers don't do that for me, right? But you know, there's always the and and very rarely are there composers that do that always. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I love Britain, but there's still some pieces that I listen to, and I'm I'm not sure about. Right. Um, I love Vaughan Williams. I I don't think I've actually found anything of his that I don't like. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I feel that way about Dvorak too. Really? Yeah, yeah I, I do. I I love it. It's Yes, I mean, doesn't speak to you. Oh God, yes, yeah. absolutely. You're yeah. kidding. You know, I mean, but I, you know, the the thing is, there's so much music, and, and right. I've never really kind of. I've, there's a very few composers I've really heard everything of. I'm sure. Same with you know, me. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very hard to perhaps. But again, the ADD kicks in. So yeah, you know, you kind of get the idea of a composer, and you love it, but then you're thinking, well, what else? Yeah. Yeah, there must be other people out there that yeah, yeah. that do great things. And so, uh, I knowing from talking to you in the past, w- w- your first commercial work was in jingles, yeah. Yes. And yeah. was that a matter of opportunity? Yes, strictly. Strictly. It's yes. not that you were. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're, and then from that point on, did you just think, oh, this is what I, this is the kind of work I want to do in music, or no. was it just a stopover at the time? W- what happened was I stop. I came I mean, out of music college four years studying composition at. at uh, at the the fancy way of saying one of the conservatoires in London, yes. but the a non fancy way and more realistic way is saying Trinity College of Music, which is a very good college, and was mm-hmm. perfect for me because mm-hmm. they had an electronic studio, they had great teachers that were just wide open. Nice. No, I was not being forced down any particular kind of route, so I just took every opportunity I could to run with anything that I could, mm-hmm. and and they were. They were. That's what they wanted from us, student. Because mm-hmm. so only, it was really progressive. At yeah, the time. Very, yeah, yeah. There was only one or two places a year, mm-hmm. you know. So there was very few of us doing it. But you had all these other students there who were who would kindly, you know, and you and certain ones wouldn't. But you could always see the ones that 
it's funny, all the ones that we used to work with are the ones who've gone on to do sessions and things like that. They're because they they were interested in collaborating yeah. at the time. Yeah. And that's another question I have yeah, for you about and, and that's, yeah. that's that's very clear when you look at a college probably a, a you know, a university situation is the people who are finding ways of of doing interesting things in the subject they're interested in are probably gonna you know, be more successful yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the people who have just defined their college life as this is what I have to do to get through the course. I'm sure it'll help them, but it's sure. not really it's not really it's what not they want to building. do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I just went to college and I just had a fantastic time and because you could have a rehearsal room and you had you percussion had instruments. Yeah. yeah. And you had the time and right. you had people saying, Okay, write something. Let's try this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I loved college and I came out of it, you know, disappointed that I couldn't carry on really but knowing that I was excited to get on to the next part so I went to work in a studio mm-hmm. as a tape op because mm-hmm. uh, I needed to know a lot more stuff and I spent about six about the technical aspect yeah. of making music uh-huh. and I spent a very interesting sort of six months at Air Studios in uh, in Oxford Street sure. I was there uh, with some amazing engineers uh, some great artists some and you worked with people coming in and out yeah just making them tea or, yeah. or working the tape machine you know mm-hmm. I mean I remember spending two nights working the tape machine for uh, Ricky Lee Jones who oh, I loved yeah. I still do to this day yeah. and it was intensely complex she was layering the shit out of really? that thing yeah everything like that and thank god I studied Bartok because I <laughs> it's not that she sounded like Bartok yeah yeah and I'd studied Bartok and I knew her stuff she wasn't joking she wasn't joking yeah. and I could get that tape machine round ready for her you know wow. like that and so the, those are the these experiences that you come out and then you think, okay. but at the end of six months, I realized I, I knew what I needed to know from that particular situation, mm-hmm. which is not to say I knew everything. I certainly mm-hmm. didn't know everything, I wasn't, but I wasn't going to be an engineer. I right. wasn't going to be, I wasn't interested enough in everything about being in the studio, but mm-hmm. I'd attained some. Enough some, to talk to engineers about it. Yes. To, yeah. to, and I still have a love of, of the, in, you know, might have a great love of in, the interest of pursuing sound. Mm-hmm. So... I did that and then it's that thing of God how the hell am I going to pay the rent you know and Mm -hmm. so my friend Gavin Greenaway uh, his father um, was part of um, an advertising company called Aerodale Mm -hmm. and uh, Gavin suggested I and and Roger suggested I just went along and and at the time Gavin and I were trying to produce bands Mm -hmm. we were trying to be producers why do I know his name He's, uh, uh, he's a conductor that's uh-huh. done lots of things for me mm-hmm. and uh, here, and he's a, he's actually a much better composer than me. But he was um, he wasn't that interested in doing film. So interesting. <laughs> that's the thing is that you know you have to align the things you're interested in with your right abilities. You know, and right. his abilities are vast, but he didn't have enough of an interest in kind of dealing with the you know the the minutia of the po- that, politics. The, I see. You know the the bullshit sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um, just to get to write yeah but maybe I'm you know I, I've always found that to be sometimes very interesting you know yeah how do you deal with that how do you go from being purely uh, lizard brain and exercising that part of your intellect and composing and then having to deal with uh, in a very real world banal frustrating parts of negotiating and um making the deal do you did you when you started did you make your own deals or 
well, did you have help do, or how does that work? When I was work? doing adverts, uh, <clears throat> to begin with, I was part of an organization, you know, Aerodel. But then Gavin and I started our own company, and then mm-hmm. that's the point at which, yeah, I had to learn a bit more about business. Mm-hmm. Um, but and who did you learn that from? Well, did you, you have a mentor? It, uh, well, yes. I mean, you know, Maggie Rodford at Aerodel, you know, was the first person to sort of really show me through as mm-hmm. you know being part of an organization like that you get shown through <laughs> you know how the business works and once mm-hmm. you understand how the business works mm-hmm. i mean negotiation is just knowledge that's all I see. if you have no knowledge you it's very hard disadvantage yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you, if you have some knowledge then you just need a lot of bullshit mm-hmm. a lot of nerve mm-hmm. uh, but if you have plenty of knowledge then you can be fair and every everybody it, it works you mm-hmm. know so uh, just being sensible about it and understanding where the value of certain things are, mm-hmm. the, you know, the value of the music, the value of the job, you know, the value of um, taking a hit in certain ways for exposure, all mm-hmm. those kind of things that, you know, mm-hmm. anybody I think that has to make music as a commercial endeavor, mm-hmm. you know, trying to trying to make a living at music is 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 a different side of your personality. Right. And some people don't want to deal with that. Some people are brilliant at it. Right. Um, but it's got to be there if you want to make a living at it. However, you don't have to do that. You can you can make the greatest music on earth mm-hmm. without ever, ever having to make a dime from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, depending on where you are and what the, you know, I mean, I, re- I grew up in a time when everybody, thanks to Vaughan William, re- Williams really, had a, an incredible choir in every town in England right. that would sing you know everything Anything. from Misa Solemnis to you know African Sanctus mm-hmm. you know that's the, mm-hmm. from the 60s 70s you know these were mm-hmm. kind of pieces that were being performed all over the country wow. constantly um, and do you think that's on the wane that type of uh, um, I don't know vocal about, participation in England I don't know because they're I, really famous for it yes I haven't been there for 20 years really mm-hmm. I mean I've lived here for 20 years so I'm not really aware of it anymore but I hope it's still there mm-hmm. I think that was a wonderful a wonderful tradition mm-hmm. so. now when you moved from so you were were you composing jingles while you were in college no oh, so after no. that so you graduated and you started really figuring out how to make a living yes. yes and you got into the jingle business and then at what was there a what was the day that that changed where you started getting into I don't know was it television or music uh, or, or um, film well, I, you know, you... How was that evolution? How did that evolve? Funny, I, I do remember that, you know, even the first gig that I got to do a demo for, mm-hmm. I don't know, Auto Trader magazine or something mm-hmm. like this. Oh, it wasn't until you moved to... No, no, this was this was in England. Oh, it was, in I England. see. So I would have been, what, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, the first time you do something... And if you look back on it, it's just, it's it's rubbish. It's, it doesn't matter. But at the time, just doing music for somebody that was going to pay you for, <laughs> for yeah. it yeah, became yeah. very interesting because it, it it had stakes. Right. You know, getting it right and getting what they needed. And getting the validation from yeah. that. Yeah. And, getting it in, and doing it in time and doing it the right way. Right. It, was, it, it is very validating, I think. And yeah. that's a bit sad because, you know, well. you should really just do it for the, for the sake of it. But... We're not I, all super superhuman. I mean, yeah. You know. I, I mean, I really got into doing adverts as well because Gavin and I were working in a performance art group and we were doing music with a, an artist for installation pieces. Mm-hmm. And and um, I heard Stephen Burkoff talking on the radio one day about how he put his plays on himself by mm-hmm. going to Hollywood for six months and playing a heavy in various films. He's been in Bond films and all this yeah. kind of stuff. He's a brilliant actor. 
and uh, and then he'd come back to Ling- London and he'd put on his own plays and use that money to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It. Mm. And I remember thinking that's smart. That's the slight libertarian in me, rather than waiting for the kind of the state mm-hmm. to pay for everything, you know, mm-hmm. or having to justify yourself to 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 people. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to move forward uh, and and do it. Yeah. So it was an impatience. So I just thought, well, if we do some adverts, that'll pay for some things. Some other and, projects. Yeah. yeah. And it'll pay for gear that we can use to make the projects better. And mm-hmm. so it, it kind of, it went from there. And uh, I just liked doing them simply because it was a, each one was a challenge. And I'd like jingles or adverts, ad- yeah. advertising music, because you never knew quite what you were going to be asked to do. I mean, one day, I was very diverse. Right. One day it was it was like, okay, you need to sound like De La Soul. And the next day it was like, okay, we want a Greek track you know uh-huh. and so I found that fascinating that's that, interesting that's the, um, the master of none side of me that's was, great training you for know. what you're doing now though oh yeah absolutely I mean yeah. it's amazing and then what was the what was the day that you decided tell me about the day you decided to move to California well I, I had you saved hands. up enough money uh, yeah uh, I was, through this jingle thing to, yes, to fund very, yourself to go yes absolutely Do, yeah. doing very well yeah. and I I'd worked with Hans one Christmas when he was doing a rescore of a film in, in London. In London, yeah, mm-hmm. and he had ten days to rewrite a score, so I got pulled in to help. Um, was this while you were at Air or after? Yeah, I was. You were uh, at Air. Well, not at Air Studios, at Air Adele. So I was, uh-huh, I was, I was I doing adverts and things, and mm-hmm. and I met up with him, and he was wonderful, and uh, and he liked me because I was a bit, I was the most techy person at mm-hmm. the at, at that group of composers. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, and I also worked my ass off right over Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, including Christmas Day. And that's the sort of thing that Hans likes. He, he likes <laughs> he likes spotting somebody that doesn't is just gonna right selfishly kill her. Yeah, gonna, yeah, gonna give up everything, <laughs> yeah. everything. And I'd I'd work in the day and I'd work half the night and you know for ten days in a row, including Christmas Day. And and so you look at those moments and you say, uh, did I do it to just because I was trying to impress him but I don't think I was I think I was just doing it because it's what we needed to do yeah and so I think he appreciated that so it started a bit of a relationship there mm-hmm. um, and then I'd go and see him every now and again and I remember when they were doing Lion King they were doing some sessions in London with vocals and uh, so I got hired you know to be there with a load of gear in case they needed to redo tracks and things mm-hmm. I don't think I did anything but I was there mm-hmm. with a pile of gear yeah um and so I got to experience quite a few things with hands, and then, and he, I remember him saying to me, um, "You know, wait, you should come to LA because, you know, we've got all these films coming in. There's like this film called The Rock, uh-huh. and you know, and we, we, you know, we need to all hands on, you know, we, yeah, it's a big all deal. This stuff yeah. coming, mm-hmm. you know, and but I didn't. First of all, I, I, I didn't feel ready, so it was about nine months or a year before I did eventually come. Why and, didn't you feel ready? Um, I didn't want to walk in there and be a T boy again, yeah. sort of thing. I wanted to yeah. be. I wanted to have my, my chops up, and that also we were working on an opera, a small chamber opera, mm-hmm. uh, with the artist uh, Michael Petrie and Gavin and I, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think doing that came to brought me to a head where I said, "Ah, oh, yes, there's a bit more to life than jingles, and I need to maybe now it's time to go." And so I just came over here, and I assumed that I would have no work, uh, but I took a place on Venice Beach looking over the sunset. Were you single at the time? No. You were with Melinda? No, yeah, yeah. I brought and Melinda. you both came? Yeah. And in mm-hmm. fact, I, t- I totally took a, I took a place that was 10 times more expensive than my budget. 
really Purpose, purposely or totally to... purposefully it seemed i looked i'd looked for a place i was had one week in la to find a place yeah and i'd looked at all these places that were on budget everywhere and um and i was just driving down speedway if you you know no right by oceanfront walk in, yeah. in venice and uh, i saw this sign which said you know uh, loft apartment for rent and so i organized and i went in there and it was this giant space yeah and it was 10 times more and uh, and i but i looked at it and i thought this is if i'm gonna come here i might as well do this properly what did melinda say was she on board? she wasn't there oh. <laughs> she didn't know you know she didn't know and that, i think that was the other thing so yeah. i looked at that place and i thought this will be funny when she comes and sees this yeah yeah and, and it, i i probably also thought she's more likely to stay here because all the other places, which were fine ap apartments, sure. I knew she would be like kind of. It wasn't the archetypal California dream, though. No. Yeah, and this was this yeah. place was. Yeah, you know, it, it was a single large loft. It's, yeah, the bedroom was on wheels and it moved from the front to the back, and it, it was a complete. It was ultimate bullshit place, and um, it seemed so so Hollywood. Yeah, I thought this is a sign, so I took it. I uh, blew a load of money on it, but. I thought, well, damn it, I can afford to even have a year just looking over the sunsets. And right. I, and I, I yeah. came at, you know, the end of, the, you know, over winter, you have these very wonderful sunsets yeah. uh, with the smog going out to sea and it gets lovely and red. That's and right. The, and the sun had moved because of the winter, right? right it's what you see in pictures, yeah. really. I mean, it Absolutely. really is what yeah. you hope LA is. Yes. And I, so I, I was living the dream. Yeah. I was still doing adverts mm -hmm. um, in France. I was doing a lot of France over the internet. It was the, fortunately, you know, we had ISDN lines by then. I'd received films overnight. Wow. Uh, and I'd been doing that from London. So it was a confluence of yeah. circumstance that really yeah. so, facilitated the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had a lovely time for about a year. And then, uh, and then hands started to. And you didn't have a thing work. with hands when you came out? No, not really. I mean, it had been a while since I'd last seen him. He'd, last time I'd seen him, he said, You should come out. And then I hadn't seen him for a while. Right. And then I did come out nine months a year later. The casual acceptance of a cruel... Uh, the, what is it? The cruel invitation of a casual... No, wait. The cruel <laughs> acceptance of a casual invitation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, well, I'm here. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is I turned up, I went through the door, you know, and they let me in, and I, I said, hi, I'm here. And you definitely had that look on his face, which was, who the fuck are you? And uh, But he was wonderful, and he... And he he um, he set me to work on a variety of really interesting things, and actually that's when I started working with DreamWorks uh -huh. uh, and Jeffrey. So I, I kind of got thrown into doing you know arrangements and helping out on the songs for Prince of Egypt, and there I was with Jeffrey and just and almost overnight. Yeah, I mean, incredible. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's not overnight. I mean, obviously your life had led up to this. This this is something. As soon as I said that, I said this is some bullshit that people say that I can't stand. Overnight, yeah, well, it just happened. It, it's, it's not really. It's I a mean, long series of overnights. You did, yeah, yeah. I think uh, every every st doing my first jingle for three hundred and fifty quid for mm -hmm. a, a magazine about cars mm -hmm. that went out in the south of England only, right? Local TV, right? That was an overnight. Yeah. For me, that was the difference between it's twenty years of overnight success. Yeah, having never done anything, then you did it, and they like it, mm -hmm. and then they send you the check. Mm -hmm. That was a that was a very fulfilling moment. If mm -hmm. you look back on it, you think. God, you know, it's kind of a bit crap. But that was it. But hell, at the time, I, yeah. I, I, you know, it was important. So you just go through Overnight every successes. time, every time, every time you try and do that, mm -hmm. whether or not it's something big. It's always big. That's it's right. honestly always big. I mean, I've always felt that, you know, right. driving to the first meeting for doing your first film. Mm-hmm. 
is you don't forget it. You don't forget it. Mm-mm. You know, but then driving to the first meeting of a film that then becomes incredibly successful, you don't forget that one, or or having mm-hmm. meetings with the filmmaker who then fires you, you don't mm-hmm. forget those ones. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all just steps. Let's talk one. about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the laugh is that I always say that I've been fired. I would be fired on every film I do if I didn't rewrite the score every time I do it. Huh. You know, that's the difference between being fired and not being fired. Is, right. Um, and that's where the rubber meets the road, too. That's what yeah. that's what separates the boys from the men is the rewrite. So I've written some screenplays and they're that the writing the first draft is the most enjoyable, thrilling, <laughs> wonderful thing yeah. you could ever do. But the rewrites are like having your nails pulled out. Yeah. But that's the trick is that hands. I remember hands saying to me, um, I remember asking him, "How can you? How can you bear to do this? You know, you wrote, <laughs> you wrote. I'd sit there after the meeting, and you know, and I'd seen somebody come in and rip apart what was clearly a excellent, Brilliant. excellent mm-hmm. cue. Somebody who knows nothing about yeah, music, yeah, yeah, but they yeah. knew what about their film. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there with hands. I said, "How can you? How can you be so kind of happy with mm-hmm. them about basically redoing a week of work?" Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, you don't understand. I, I get to write it again. Wow. And he was genuinely excited no, that he, wow. could, he could try it again and he could, he could figure it out a different way. He, he was, looked at the criticism as a gift. Yes. Yes. Very hard to do. I think that's, a ta- that's a, more than a talent. That's just kind of a, uh, a genetic gift. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but putting yourself in that frame of mind when you collaborate is is actually the key to it. Did you have to learn that? Yes, yeah. I did. I was not good at it. I'd okay. collaborated in lots of ways, and I was very good at certain types of collaboration. But mm-hmm. then when it came to collaborating in certain... In, in that way that you just don't have any... You don't have respect for the other person's musical understanding, mm-hmm. that proved to be hard. Because mm-hmm. up till then, I'd always kind of collaborated with everybody. You know, was... I would, you know, you'd respect their right, their abilities, their talents, right, and, and their then, opinions. Yeah, yeah. And then you're looking at it, and you're going, "Well, I really, really think you're wrong." And so the reaction is either stamping your feet and mm-hmm. saying, "No, I won't change it because mm-hmm. you're wrong. You're an idiot," mm-hmm. or you, or you try and figure out how to fix it in a way that doesn't damage it, right? Or you throw it away and start again, right? And it depends on the person. And you've done all three of those. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And what yeah. led to you being fired? The, the first of just um, putting your foot down and saying, no way. Uh, the, the, I think the first one I was fired from was, I wasn't even fired, I just wasn't hired. Yeah. And it was, it was a, a film that I wrote a load of tunes for. and on, Like on spec or? Yeah, it was sort like of. Demo? You know, Hands had kind of got me in and, and, and said, look, this guy could do this. Mm-hmm. And so I started to write, and and it wasn't working for the filmmaker. You know, it was actually a producer, and mm-hmm. uh, he, he he wasn't that interested. And and he, he eventually said it's it's uh, it's too f- it's not masculine enough, not masculine enough. You know. Huh, okay. And uh, and I think what I took that to be at the time was moronic enough, uh, and that's the wrong way to think of it. It's and, so easy to think that way, though. Yeah, and it, he did want it simpler and less flowery uh-huh. which are two things that I 
I love, which is not being simple and being very flowery. I love that stuff. Yeah. You know? So it was, I was trying to, I think I was in the middle of trying to find my own voice. Yeah. It was early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the difficulty with that is that you, you work in Hollywood under hands. Everybody wants it to sound like hands. Mm-hmm. So I was pushing away from that mm-hmm. at the time and it wasn't doing me any good for that gig. Mm-hmm. But I kept pushing kept pushing just to see because I, I knew the stuff was good mm-hmm. it just wasn't right for that for film, film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? right so I pushed and pushed and pushed and then they eventually said no you know how, how did, did that create uh, how does Hans deal with that because it's, was that difficult for you guys no, no. I don't think so Hans always respected anybody that kind of pursued something different from what he sounded like Huh. that's why he and I got on I think I see he doesn't like people just coming along and sounding exactly like him. That's boring to him. Yeah. So having somebody coming along and challenge him, what he does, yeah, and challenge the idea of what a Hollywood movie should sound like. And you can defend your thesis, and you can yeah. pa- be passionate about yeah, it. Yeah, and you have, yeah. you have not just for the sake of uh, doing that. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can't explain why you want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. Hans and I had so many arguments about trumpets. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was not a fan of trumpets at all. Like no. the sound of trumpets, or uh, how they're writing for trumpets. He, it see. didn't. It didn't really work for him because you know. Remember, this was twenty years ago. Yeah, so, of so yeah. you know, I was just watching Crimson Tide the other day, and it's an amazing score. Yeah, it's an amazing score. I mean, uh, no a trumpet in it. Yeah, and it's no woodwinds or trumpets. You know, but that was kind of the era, and things yeah, just the weren't st- style you know. too. Yeah. I guess. So he was probably questioning me as to whether or not I was sounding too retro. I was sounding to Jerry Goldsmith because I had a load of trumpets or John Williams because I had too many trumpets I was actually trying to always sound like Esquivel That's or funny. Billy May yeah. actually to tell you the truth yeah. Billy May orchestra um, and I just love those kind of trumpets or you know the trumpets that Ravel uses sure. you know, where they're just rhythm instruments almost yeah. uh, and that just didn't fit into what Hans knew would work for a film mm-hmm. so he and I would kind of like battle a bit over that and then, also, I hadn't figured out how to use them right yet in my own style. I wasn't I wasn't using them the right way for the right film. So, you know, another film comes along, and then lo and behold, it will make sense. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's the right film, it's the right time. Right, it's a different set of filmmakers, perhaps you know, who haven't heard that right. kind of thing. You know, and and then so each of these little fetishes that I would have had musically, I took me a while to figure out how to how to make work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and every film is every score I've done has got them in either to a lesser or greater degree of success right right now when you were with Hans did you know immediately when you started working with him that this was another uh, another stop gap for you because some uh, I, I would imagine that working at remote control in this amazing environment with access to the biggest blockbusters and the but it's at the high you know very high yeah. level yeah were you not um, <clears throat> seduced by that, or um, or did you know immediately that you're like, okay, I'm going to learn what I can from Hans, and then we're going to separate? Uh, yes, I mean, I've always been selfish in trying to figure out what I need, what mm-hmm. I needed to do for me. Mm-hmm. So I would have been there, but I think I began, I began my experience with Hans at. Media Ventures, it was then called, mm-hmm. just knowing that there was nowhere else to pick up this information. Right. And also, try. I was always trying to impress him musically. As and, a mentor. Yes. 
as a as a as a, another composer actually uh, uh, as well, you know, yeah. as somebody mm -hmm. who I knew if I could do something crazy enough, he'd see it. Huh? He'd see it, and it didn't need to sound like him. And it was more interesting to him when it didn't sound like him. When you started to kind of a do, th I remember doing a jingle for him, believe it or not, yeah. there, which I sort of sworn I would never do. But I remember I thought, well, this is an interesting one. I might get a chance to, and it. It, it worked for the it worked for the film. It was a Jackie Chan, uh -huh. you know, um, Mountain Dew advert, uh -huh. and it was crazy. It was a crazy advert, and I just went over the top with the music, yeah. and uh, and I definitely got hands to come in the room and look at it and go, hmm. Jesus, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> and that was that was much more exciting to me than the idea of getting films. It was actually huh. getting him to be in, be to write something that he couldn't write uh-huh and he would engage them yeah, yeah that engaged him yeah yeah and and to to not not f to try something crazy and not fail in front of him yeah know, you know? yeah although i did plenty of times <laughs> yeah but he seems to be okay with that yeah as long absolutely as yeah as long as you get on and do, do it. it again yeah fail over and over again but See, just that's that's amazing that's another yeah. part of uh, somebody's personality that's Finding those personalities are very difficult, especially in our culture where we're programmed to win, win, win. It's all about winning. We don't really teach our kids, and we don't really accept the idea of not winning. And I don't even—I don't even want to use the word losing, but the idea of not winning uh, <laughs> is just very antithetical to the American dream, the American experience. Well, it depends if—if, if except for our great inventors, of course. And yeah. I mean, I'm just talking about everyday folks are just not prepared uh, for that. I, I've just always seen that the failure. Well, at least in in, and the irony is that I, I don't go out because of fear that going out, I will fail. Going out? What do you mean? Yeah, you know, I mean out? going out. You know, walking down the street. Like I to make, really? I make, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm inhibited from doing anything because of fear of, you know, kind of failure at life, as it were. But as soon as you get me in the studio and with music, you're a lion. Yeah, I, I kind of, I will happily move towards the fail point with great speed because I know that that edge is where the interesting stuff is right and the worst what's the worst that happens you fail right it's like it's not a f it doesn't failing miserably at writing 25 bars of music is not something that yeah. would give me a second thought yeah um, but failing at being able to successfully get the barman to see you to get a drink is much more worrying to me really <laughs> yeah I mean that's, that's just really funny it's just being a kind of a yeah 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 you know, so you've really up. chosen the right <laughs> line of work <laughs> well, it's this it's the side of things that I it, it's it's very uh, control freaky you can you can be all over it all the time yeah and you can make your mistakes yeah in, in private and do you ever you, feel isolated I mean do you feel do you get lonely I mean I, I know that there are people around and that's another question do you keep do you keep so many people around you partly to have some company? Mm, no, 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 that's <laughs> no, not it. No, no, no. I'm quite happy on my own uh -huh. uh, to a certain extent. The thing I miss is is making music with other people. The collaborative yeah. element. Yeah, the, the the collaborative when you're playing. I mean, I really, you know, I I I, I did enjoy playing. You know, and do I you do, ever have a, a group come and just you jam with them? Uh, well, like recently we, ha we had the band that I used to be in uh, come and sure. play, you know, and yeah. uh, and that was great to play again with them. I saw that. Yeah. I mean, I saw how great that was yeah, for, that was for everybody. Yeah. It was fun. And, yeah. I, you know, and that, 
making music is just such a wonderful experience. I mean, you know, I can never believe that people don't automatically want to do it. <laughs> yeah, do you not seek it out because you don't have the time for it? Um, it feels uh, inorganic for me to seek it out the wrong way. So I see. Uh, I think... Or is it inauthentic in a way? Yes. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, whereas, yeah. you know... If it's going to happen, it has to happen for the right reasons, yeah. and then it feels okay. Because I'm not a good player, so I know that I'm in certain circumstances. You know, I could hire a bunch of I understand guys to come and yeah, yeah, yeah. Now things, you're like you know. Malcolm Forbes. Uh, yeah. Having, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah you know. Sure. So I have to be careful about that. It's um, but you know, if I, the other four or five years ago, I thought, oh, maybe I'll go back to playing the viola and I'll I'll try and find. And I found a few people who were who were not pro players you mm -hmm. know and we thought about sort of like playing some quartets together yeah <laughs> and i got the viola out and i realized it's just it's impossible it's just, <laughs> just not good it's <laughs> not good it's not good my ear is too attuned now to to good tuning to absolute tuning yeah, yeah to mm -hmm. be able to put up with it myself really to ever, yeah do I you have perfect pitch no but no. you know but you over the years you kind of get very very sharp kind of to it sharp, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And and also, mm -hmm. you know, I guess thirty years I've been using sounds that are all perfectly in tune. It's very right. very hard to kind of hear myself right. playing so badly. <laughs> you right. Know? And and all the great musicians I've worked with, you know, I it's very hard to to have, you know, written a solo for, you know, the first viola in the orchestra here. Yeah. And hear him play it and then pick up the viola and then try and play something even very simple yeah and realize that you know the fingers just don't go down the right so, place and... yeah so you have one of two choices you, you either have to let that go or you have to devote five hours a day to yes. practicing the viola yes yeah and neither seem to be realistic no because I, <laughs> I still have the ADD so. yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so tell me about that moment when did, did there come a moment when you knew you were going to be leaving Hans um before no. that process started or was it a mutual no. decision it was a, it was a it was probably one of those things where it's a it was a is it like a teenager leaving home yes it was and i was doing i did it uh -huh. i didn't do it very elegantly okay i think i could have done it much better now and i've uh, i've i've talked to a couple of other guys who have left before they left and i hope i've helped them leave more elegantly uh, and keep their relationship. I mean, thankfully, because of Hans, I I didn't lose my relationship. But it was, certainly, you reconciled. Yeah, I yeah. got banned from DreamWorks for a while. As as, as what were the circumstances? What? How well, did I was that just go being down? a dick. Uh huh. I was just being a dick, and uh, I'm not really like a prima donna. Or? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. There was a moment when Jeffrey Katzenberg said to me, "If you want to behave like that, you should go to New York and join the New York Ballet." Fuck. And he was right. He was right. And we joked about it um, a while back when when he, he he described me as having been put on the bench for a while because oh, I was after Shrek I was put on the bench yeah that's why I didn't do Shrek two and Shrek yeah. three well they didn't need me a eh? because Harry could do it extremely yeah. well but um, but also it just I think it was a reaction yeah and I was just I was trying to get out from under this shadow of hands did but did uh, that must have knocked you off your feet a little bit psychologically no no no, no you, it 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 you stuck to your guns yeah, emotionally I mean, it's it's painful because you you know you don't want to be in conflict with anybody and i I, yeah. I didn't like being conflict you know and hans had a stern talking to me and, and he was right yeah but i had to do it and i just had done it i did it badly it's not that the idea was wrong it was right. just the execution, the execution. Was bad. sure so if you then go a year later and look at Born, mm -hmm. the first Born movie. Mm -hmm. the, it is the way it is because I was deliberately trying not to sound 
like hats. And that was really the that was really the intersection for you where you took a different turn and your yes. career has been going down that yeah. way because of Bourne. Yeah. Well, the thing was that our, the irony of it was that. Um, oh, well, didn't you replace a composer for that? Yes, film? but but you know. It, it was a complicated film to do, and it was and uh-huh. it was in turmoil as to try and find any anything. You mean dramatically or everything, right. everything? You know, uh, trying to find how to do that movie is uh, it any movie that's kind of different. Yeah, it's very hard. It just doesn't follow, follow the formula. Right. I mean, Doug was trying to make the first Bond movie like an indie Bond. Yeah, right. that's what he was trying to make. I right. think you know, um, he's always got this kind of amazing ability to be able to try and find a he's looking for a a niche mm-hmm. for something that will interest him mm-hmm. and that interested him he'd seen lots of bomb movies yeah in a, him, in a genre that's yeah. been really really yeah. threat, but he didn't want to make that bear. yeah mm-hmm. he wanted to make something different mm-hmm. and so he came along and he'd had a score and he had you know all the kind of the you know issues of trying to get the film to work as well as possible as they searched for this unusual tone to mm-hmm. it and he heard some stuff of mine and called me up and, and we talked and he had no idea I'd work with hands because he, he didn't want this, he didn't want it to uh, stand. and we never even discussed that kind of sound mm-hmm. he was just talked on the phone he was getting in and out of taxis in New York while whilst talking to me and I just realised that he just wanted me to experiment, play and see if we could find something else huh. for him and so I did that's all I did and I, so every decision I made was what am I interested in what music am I interested in that uh, doesn't often get in these kind of films what would I have normally done if we'd been doing it you know at Media Ventures mm-hmm. and and you kind of work away from some things and towards other things mm-hmm. and so you know I didn't and they'd spent a load of budget already so they didn't have much money left so mm-hmm. I couldn't have a big orchestra and they didn't want an orchestra it didn't need an orchestra anyway because they done. They tried that, right? And that was one of the things about the previous score was that it was uh, more orchestral than it. Did that constraint uh, help your composition? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it helped it find at least. You have it, to it's distill whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, and even if I did have strings, I didn't want them to sound big. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to sound small and in your face. I mm-hmm. wanted it to sound like an you know an indie film, but but drive as hard as any big action film ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not quite sure. I, I mean, I can say these things now. At the time, I didn't know really what I was looking for. All mm-hmm. I was looking for was different, and that's all Doug was looking for. Mm-hmm. So you just work away from something, mm-hmm. and you just. And I was inspired by the film, I, and Matt Damon's performance was just spot on. Was yeah. absolutely there. So you, yeah. if anything, it, it comes from an inquisitive director who's willing to let you play, mm-hmm. and an actor who's nailed the character. Mm-hmm. And even as the film was still solidifying its its tone, mm-hmm. I was playing with the director, and bit by bit we started, we we came across bits that he liked and mm-hmm. seemed to work and mm-hmm. seemed to fit, and then you build it up, and then it uh, even right to the last minute it was uh, very very hard. I mm-hmm. had to go in and recut all the music, change a lot of things on the dub stage. Mm-hmm. That's when I learned Pro Tools. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and it, but it, it it worked out. It worked out, and um, at the time you don't know it's going to work out. You're mm-hmm. just trying to make something, and mm-hmm. lo and behold, it works well enough. And you connected with this director as a person, and you had similar yes. ideas and goals. Yes, in in the in the sense. <clears throat> so that it's that, not personal that way when you have to chop things up. It's, no, it's reasonable. No, yeah. no it, it, it's 
collaborative. You've got, you've got to join the director in the madness, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. The madness is that we're going we're gonna to search for something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to come on the search, fine. If you think you know you found it because it's new, mm-hmm. that, can be a, that can be a conversation. If you think you know how to do it because that's how you've always done it and that's how everyone else does it, yeah. you're not really searching, are you? Yeah. You're not helping us look. So that's no help to the director. Now, have you ever been beholden to producers and directors that are on that tack that don't, that have a particular way? Oh, yeah. Uh, And then uh, (laughs) how do you, first of all, how do you deal with that? And then how does that affect, I would imagine, knowing you, knowing you the way that I know you, I, I would imagine that the answer is that you would use that as a challenge to do the very best work in such a way as to say, you know what? Even even your ineptitude is not going to prevent me from making a great score. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the thing I've, I've often said is, uh, you know, great scores have come about because of directors, and they've come about despite directors. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the despite is there's many examples of that. Hans has done that mm-hmm. many times. There's, mm-hmm. there's been people involved in certain films where they've given him such shit about what becomes something what will later become something that they take all kind of credit for yeah and it's iconic yeah <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and so the trick is to is to i don't know it's just to find find a voice for the film yeah you know and something that seems to stick yeah and you can tell when things aren't sticking they're just kind of they that you put them on and they just slowly slide off yeah yeah and sometimes you can see it quicker than other times and other times you have to accept that it's it's just not the right thing. That's and right. You, I might be the last person to know. Now you're still. Uh, when we started really working together, it was for the uh, piece you wrote for Moltke for World War One. Well, it was Happy Feet too, actually. Well, you were very, yeah, you were a very small penguin. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I don't <laughs> feel like that was that. I mean, you were still. I don't know. Had you started the? Moltke then? Yeah, oh, no. you hadn't. No, no, no. I mean, I'd been thinking about it for a long time, but I hadn't started really yeah. anything until the beginning of this uh, last year. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. And now it seems like you're back in, into film. Um, Having yeah. had a conversation about you wanting to slow down with film composition and moving more towards... Classical. Classical composition. Well, yeah, but that hasn't changed. I mean, I, I, I see. just... I, I'm just having to re. I want. I need to refigure out. In the same way that I needed to search for my own voice in film, I need to search for my own voice in in uh, in the classical world mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So I've got a publishing deal that's going to happen mm-hmm. soon, and with mm-hmm. a classical publisher, and mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to try and. I don't know. I'm going to try and write. Uh, I've got a couple of pieces for next year to write, and I've got. Classical pieces or yeah. film? Yeah, the classical pieces. Okay, so you're still on oh, that yes, trajectory. And I've only got one film a year at the moment. Uh, I see. And, uh, okay. So I'm not, I'm not going back into a load of films. I mean, if something's really interesting, of course. you know, you never know. But um, yeah. on the whole, I, I've got uh, Ferdinand the Bull, yeah. which is a lovely story. It's a nice pacifist, anti-bullfighting story. Yes, that's right. Couldn't imagine it. It's set in Spain. I mean, what more fun could you have? Yeah. Um, and that's with Carlos Saldana, who's who's a wonderful person to mm-hmm. work with. Uh, and then Dragons Three, which will be 2018, nice uh, with Dean and 
Bonnie, yeah, everybody yeah. from that. That'll be wonderful. Although I'll miss Jeffrey. He, you know, he's 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 gone now. So do you keep in touch? Um, you know, I, I I'm constructing an email to him <laughs> right now, which is to you know to say <laughs> all the third things. draft. Yeah, I am. <laughs> it's, it's a hard hard to write that email because sure. yeah, he's meant an awful lot to me. Yeah, <laughs> really and did, are you? I mean, did you you recovered from that spat? Uh, in, oh in yes. The past. So, yes. No, so you, you're Jeffrey's brilliant. He's he's the most faithful the friend person. Yeah, yeah. That you could ever have. He, if you're talented and he thinks you're helping his film, he'll he'll put up with anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he kindly has always thought that I think of me. So and I think Dragons was the way it was because I was really trying to. That was the first film I'd ever done for Jeffrey where I was on my own. That's and was he somebody thing. else you needed to impress, like you totally. used to for Hans? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, again, if you really want to be kind of um, the, psych- the psychiatrist yes. about this, is yes, I was. I have been trying to impress my father yes. ever since he died when I was fifteen. Yeah, and Hans and you were is my and you were father. close. Yeah. You and your father were close. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a wonderful man. Yeah, so. I feel that way about my grandfather. I, I, I have a very similar story. I lost him when I was fourteen, yeah. and I, I I look for that too, actually. Sure. You I mean, know? who else can you? constantly try and impress other than the person you can never that's right speak to again that's right especially <laughs> if you don't have uh, a man in the sky to do it to you yeah, need to exactly. look to actual people yeah yeah, yeah that's true is, yeah so so you know so after 50 some odd films you really are you're really going into the next phase of your compositional life with classical music yes i i have to i have to pursue that because that is that is it's essential to to stop me from being a boring composer I mean I really have to find a, a new voice and obviously the way that I work within film is it's very hard to kind of change yeah. too much because people would be yeah, yeah. you know if, if somebody unless has the right a project film, comes along yeah, with the right vision film, yeah. mm-hmm. and I mean part of me thinks I should like I should take another pseudonym and see if people would hire me and I can mm-hmm. do crazy scores for them them not thinking that it would be me but mm-hmm. um, when you're expected to do you know a certain type of score for a certain type of film and that's what everyone wants that's right it's hard to break that habit because it's part of the industry right they don't want you just suddenly coming up all weird on them right right and there's probably some and it does take the collaboration it has takes a huge machine to kind of turn that paradigm a little bit yeah you know it would it would do and so i think i'm going to try and do it more in the classical world first of all just pieces that aren't for film see if I can find a more interesting voice. And is it mo- mostly vocal music that you're focused on? No, not really, but uh-huh. it just happens to come that way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. We, I do love voices. So, yeah. So, yeah. And having, you know, got to know Eric as well. So I'm, I'm doing a piece Yeah, lots him. of things are, are conspiring to help yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For and sure. It, it's fascinating knowing, uh, learning, starting at the beginning again with, a, with that world. It must it's, be really exciting. Oh, yeah. It's exciting and it's been frustrating and sure. interesting and sure and we know those stories yeah, yeah absolutely yeah story for another time <laughs> do you have anything else what else what else do we have uh what else do we have yeah um I, we covered a lot of ground today we did yeah it's probably been qu- a bit boring no i don't think sure so. i i love talking to you i don't oh, care what yeah, yeah. it's all about me <laughs> i come to have a chat <laughs> with my friend this is what I like <laughs> I'm very happy to get out of the house and uh, come do this alright now I do have a couple of questions I email I texted Eric Whitaker yes. I texted Jeff Beal and I texted Kave Cohen about um, what I should ask you on their behalf oh Kave says uh, <clears throat> so I said uh, hey fellas I'm meeting with John Powell tomorrow for the podcast any burning questions you'd like me to ask him on your behalf 
Kavi said yes. <clears throat> Where's the talent? So just to let you know, Kavi, for my listeners, Kavi Cohen is the, the head of Ninja Tracks. He's a composer. He does all of the big trailer music uh, yeah. in the world. I mean, it's yeah. a huge company. He's a, he's a very dear friend of mine, tr- tremendous composer, very, very good composer. And uh, so he says, yes, where's the talent fountain and how much can I drink before there's a charge? Okay, so there's one. Uh, also ask him why he wants me to feel so bad about myself when I listen to his work. So that probably doesn't need a response. Eric said LOL to that. He liked that. Now, Jeff Beale says uh, Brexit and the UK's option of current US politics should give you guys plenty to talk about. What do you oh, think about Jesus. Brexit? You know, it's unfair for me to say because I've not been there for 20 years. Do You, you don't have any voting no, pr- no. privilege anymore? No, no. not anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's unfair. And I think I, I can't really speak to it. But yeah. Do you think it's going to turn out well or turn out badly? Uh, I think any country that has smart people, uh, industrious people, people that care, will figure out how to make it work. Um, I don't. It doesn't strike me that that uh, you know Great Britain is 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 you know is just a mindless bunch of idiots. They can be, obviously there can be any, you know there's yeah. plenty of people there who are. Yeah. Um, I think they I think they're going to lose Scotland. Yeah. How about Wales? Um, uh, Wales will stay. I don't know about Wales. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Ireland should be long ago. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what the hell was that about? Yeah. You know. I mean, I know what it's about, but um, uh, that's that's incredible that you yeah. Know, yeah, 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 yeah. S- they still have this little bit, but I, you know, okay, uh, you know. So, so yeah. So Brexit, I think, if the British are, are, are always prided themselves on sort of like you bomb them, they'll make a song up. Yeah, they'll set up a table it, and you know. have some tea. Yeah. Well, it's mm-hmm. it's just you know trying to find the 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 best part of you in in out of the strongest uh, most noble your most noble uh, sort uh-huh. of reasons uh-huh. and so if brexit goes horribly wrong it will be because um nobody is taking it seriously i mean uh, and i think they were shocked so yeah, i think they are ta- i think, I think yeah. they are taking it very seriously so i think i'm hoping that it will they'll figure some things out i mean it, it can be it, it could be a madness again I love the idea of a, a united Europe. Mm-hmm. I also hate the idea of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see why you have to be for bureaucracy because you like a you know that's right a, a, the United States of Europe, which is basically what that, the exactly. good thing would be about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. think of it as an as uh, synonymous with uh, Texas breaking away. Yeah, it, it, it is in a way. Um, I mean, Britain has always been kind of very, you know, um, the, the, we're, we're, you know, this whole Europe thing is—it's it's always been a little bit kind of well, we're yeah, not, yeah, yeah. We're know, still—we've England. got a sea between us, you know. Yeah. So they've—they've they've never really been all the way in. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. always just been kind of like mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. the tip in, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so, <laughs> um, you know, prom- yeah. promising lots of things, and maybe it—it was—it was that moment when they either had to kind of. Um, I don't know. Fish propose, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Propose, or, 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 you know, it was time for Europe to have a baby, right? Right. And uh, if if they didn't want to commit, they didn't want to commit. So yeah. But yeah, yeah. We'll see. And Jeff Beale also says, uh, "Are you writing more concert works?" The answer is yes. Uh, 
And he personally says he loves that you did that oratorio. Oh, we're kind of. (laughs) And I hope, you know, I've said it before. I'm going to say it on air now. We all need to get together. I would love for you to sit down. He's such a gentle, kind person. Kaveh is too. Eric, you already know. We will. We will. Well, I've, you know, it's been, you know, my natural instinct to um, run into the toilet and lock the door <laughs> is, uh, is, 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 has been overwhelming me a little bit recently. Obviously. I understand. And, yeah, of course. Uh, you of know, course. I will eventually come out. The, I'll come out of the toilet and see the light. Well, you so. know me. I, uh, I am the master of uh, cruelly accepting casual invitations. So if you give me just a little, <laughs> just a little crack, I'll, I'll keep, uh, sure. I'll keep drilling away. That's, that's the wonderful thing. John, I really, I adore you. I'm so glad that you decided to be on the show. I love this conversation. I love every conversation I have with you. It was a real treat for me to come to your beautiful place and sit down and, you know, just have a nice chat. I want to thank you. Thank you. And uh, to those of you who think I've overshared, you're probably right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's still in record. That's right. (laughs) That's the terrible moment you get to the end of the interview. And you suddenly realized 20 minutes ago, (laughs) you you ran out of disk space. Uh, Are you in control of it? I am, if you want. Okay. Shall I turn it off now? Thanks, John. Well, there you have it, folks. That was a fantastic Mr. John Powell. I wonder if he's ever going to be Sir John Powell. Although he just got his uh, uh, American citizenship. Congratulations, John. That was just, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago. It's really exciting. Uh, can you still be a sir? He, well, you still he still has the accent. Maybe I mean I don't know. I don't know if he qualifies. Anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your Monday and a great rest of the week. Remember to always be kind to one another. Really and stuff. until next time. Like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get onto my show.